0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice the phrase Paul uses, living sacrifice. Now, when we talk about sacrifice in our modern vernacular, we think about sacrificing for someone or doing something for them or putting down what you want or your desires and where you make sacrifice for your spouse, sacrifice for your kids, sacrifice for your family and community. And that's how we think of the word sacrifice. But that's not the word Paul is referring to. Remember, he's writing to an ancient people that are familiar with going into temples and leaving a physical sacrifice on the altar. He's talking to a people who are familiar with... Who are familiar with presenting a physical offering, whether it was an animal or a grain or a liquid, and pouring it out before God? And so he's talking to people who have that mindset, and as you've heard me share for the last six weeks, how many know the priest will look at you sideways if you came in there, presented an offering dedicated to God, and picked it up from the altar and took it home? How many know the high priest and all the other priests will look at you crazy? Because if you offer it to God, if you dedicate it to God, guess where it's supposed to stay? With God. If you place it on the altar, where it's supposed to stay? On that altar. So Paul uses the same vocabulary to say we're supposed to live our lives as living sacrifices, which means we live as dedicated to God, not just on Sundays, but as a lifestyle that We stay on the altar, no matter how trifling people may be. We stay on the altar, no matter what traffic looks like on Monday. We understand from this, it is a lifestyle and a mentality reminding us who we belong to. And we're not supposed to be, you know, one of the things we talk about sacrifice, well, they're dead. It's already done. No, living sacrifice. Which means you have to make daily decisions to do this. Sometimes hourly decisions, sometimes multiple decisions every single minute, depending on how trying the day may be. We are to live as living sacrifices. And when you study the Old Testament, when sacrifices were offered in faith, there was always a response from heaven. And so as you live as a living sacrifice, expect responses from heaven. Expect heaven to show up and show out on your behalf. Expect heaven to back you up. No, you're not in this by yourself. Say, well, I'm just going to wait for the sweet by and by. I'm going to live holy all the days of my life, and then I'm going to go to heaven. How about have heaven on earth and then die and go to heaven? The first time you encounter heaven it's not supposed to be when you die, Christian. You're in the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So that means we have a misunderstanding of the gospel. We think the first time we experience heaven is when we die. But we can't experience heaven or manifest heaven on a regular basis in our lives if we don't live the lifestyle of I'm a living sacrifice. That's why the next verse Paul says, do not be conformed unto this world but be ye transformed by the renewing or the renovation of your mind. You have to change the way you think. If you're going to live as a living sacrifice, you can't think the way you used to think. You might say, well, pastor, I grew up in the church. Well, great. Even if the church taught the word, moved from the Holy Ghost, and everything they said was right, you were in church for two hours a week, or the denomination maybe, ten hours a week. But how many know, even if you were there all day on Sunday, And all night on Wednesday, that doesn't compare to the hours you spend and everything else for the rest of the week. Which means no matter how you grew up, even if you've been saved since you were three, there's still some renovation of your mind that has to take place. This is a daily thing. It's not saying, I've renovated my mind, I'm good. No, you do that, you'll be thinking crazy by next week. It is a continual process. You renovate your mind. You stay on your mind until you arrive at the throne of God. This is a process. We have to make sure we think according to the word of God. And as you've heard me say in this series, you have to learn to think for yourself based on the word of God. Because if you don't think for yourself, somebody else will think for you. And if they have to think for you, they may not have your best interest in mind. So that means we don't just jump on whatever's trendy or whatever what the culture's saying, whatever every politician says, whatever's popular on social media. We take time to process what we hear, which means if you're going to take time to process, you have to have control of your emotions. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and control center of your emotions, and you live in a physical body. You are supposed to have emotions and not let your emotions have you. But if you're always in your feelings and always in your emotions, you won't have time to process nothing. And you'll go, over, go with whatever is trendy and popular and not realizing some days you may be in line with the kingdom of heaven and some days you're in line with the kingdom of darkness because of your emotions. And you say, sanctify, fill the Holy Ghost with a mighty burning fire, go to heaven when you die. But some of your decisions line up with hell because you don't have your emotions in check. So we have to make sure we don't just go along because that's what everyone else is doing. That we take time to pause, to consider, to process this thing. What does the word have to say about this? What is the Holy Spirit saying to my heart right now? And then make decisions on how we move forward. Well, pastor, I have to say something. I got to post something. I have to tweet something. Says who? You don't always got to do that. Even Jesus didn't always respond to his critics. You remember the time when they brought the woman to him, caught in the act of adultery? They set a trap for her. They brought her, said, so we caught this woman in the act of adultery. Well, what does it do? Another message. And Jesus looked at them and ignored them and started playing in the sand. We don't know if he was riding something. He could have been doing a pretty picture. He doesn't say what he was doing. He just started doodling in the sand. And they're, you know, they're standing there with rocks to kill this woman. And Jesus is straight up ignoring them. You know, they're waiting for him to respond. You know, they're provoking him, trying to get him to respond. They're trying to trap Jesus now. And then eventually he responds. Remember, Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. And so he waited till the father told him to say something in this high-pressure situation. He said, well, he was without sin. Cast the first stone. And he went back. To play in the sand. And then it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the stones and walked off. And then it says, Jesus looked up. He's not paying attention to these dudes. Whatever he's doing to the sand, whether he's writing out stuff, I've heard different sermons, well, he's writing this, he's writing that. It doesn't say what he's writing. We just know he is doodling in the dirt. We don't know. It could be deep, or maybe he was feeling artistic that day and painted a really pretty picture. We don't know. But notice, he wasn't moved by the pressure. He wasn't moved by what people thought he should say or should do. And then when he looked up, he says, Woman, which is ma'am, where are your accusers? They're gone? No one's here to accuse you? Well, neither do I. Go and say no more. He didn't excuse the action he addressed the action but he addressed it from the standpoint of the Word of God and what the Holy Ghost was saying don't get so caught up in the culture that you sound more like a politician than you sound like Jesus Christ we have too many believers who sound more like Republicans and Democrats than the kingdom of God they quote more platforms than scripture We must renovate our minds and not get caught up in the culture wars. Because I believe something and preach something that will make liberals and conservatives spitting mad. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will get on the conservatives' nerves and the liberals' nerves. Because sometimes the gospel will seem conservative to some and liberal to others. Because a lot of times the truth is right there in the middle. Dad Hagen will say it this way. He would say, you know, people get in trouble because they get on a ditch on one side or the other. When the truth is just walking down the middle. Here's a scriptural example that people would debate about 10 years ago about grace. You know, oh, everybody's saved. It doesn't matter what you do. The other side, oh, the law is still in effect today. God is looking to zap you. The truth was in the middle that the law, you're not under the law. If you're a believer, the law is not for you. Now, the blessings of the law apply to you, but the curse of the law has nothing to do with you. Nothing. And we live in the day of grace, but we're still called to live holy, even in the day of grace. So the truth was in the middle, but you have ditch dwellers who live on one side or the other. You have to make sure that you're not in a ditch, but you're in line with the word of God. That you can stand for righteousness and still stand for justice. It's not either or. Sometimes it's both. And other times it's neither. But you need to make sure you don't get caught up in the culture and the social media feuds and all the drama of the world and all the turbulence of the world. And you pause and process, what does the Word have to say about this? What is the Spirit of God telling my heart right now to do about this? And do not—we love the heathen, we love the Word—do not let the heathen define your Bible or teach you what the Bible actually means. If they don't believe it, why would you listen to them to teach you what it means? You're going to have to read that Bible for yourself. And do what the scriptures rightfully divide the word of truth. If you can rightfully divide it, you can wrongfully divide it. Because you can go into the Old Testament and read through the prophets about some things and say, oh, this is about us. It has nothing to do with you. I still remember that people were saying, well, this is us. No, it's not. You're the church. That doesn't apply to you. Now, there's wonderful things you learn from Old Testament. There's wonderful blessings that still apply to you. But you're not the Jews, and you're not the nations. You're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's three groups of people on the earth. There are the Jews, there are the Gentiles or the nations, and there's the church of God. God has dealings with all three. But you have to make sure what you're reading, all the Bible is for you, but not all the Bibles about you. So when you're making daily decisions... You need to make sure you're reading the scriptures that are about you and giving direction for your life. where you find most of that? Through the epistles. From Acts to Revelation, you see what's about you. Direction for your life. You'll see a lot of that. Majority of Proverbs still applies to believers today. It's the wisdom of God. But what do you do? You look at it in light of the scriptures. So you study through the Old Testament... You read the Old Testament, and if it is a continual promise or commandment in the New Testament, then what is said in the Old Testament applies to you. But if it's not in the New, you don't got to do it. Like the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch about sacrificing animals. It has nothing to do with you. You already had a sacrifice. But you can look at how they offered sacrifices— to understand the spiritual sacrifice are supposed to operate in today. Because it does talk about spiritual sacrifice we as New Testament believers are to offer. But you have to make sure you rightfully divide the word of truth, which means you don't just go along with what's popular or just take a clip of a message and just run with it. You take some time and you read the word. So while you hear us say here, you're not under obligation to receive anything from a preacher if they can't prove it to you from the word of God. I don't care how anointed, charismatic, gifted, talented they are. I don't care how good they can put words together Sing, dance, skip across the stage Maybe float in the middle there as they say it If it does not line up with the book You're under no obligation to receive it I don't care if they call themselves Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher Whatever title they can make up for themselves If it doesn't line up with the book Don't you do it Well pastor I felt a goosebump when they said it Maybe it was cold in the building Maybe it wasn't a goose bump, Maybe it was gas. Maybe Asim you should have been eating. Get to the book. We have to be word people. We have to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who heard Paul himself preach, and they went home and opened up their books to study to see if it was true. We have to make sure our foundation is the word of God and renew our minds that way. So as the message says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. James 4, 7, the other text scripture for the series. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice submit to God comes before resist. If you're going to be an effective part of the resistance, you have to be submitted to God. Because it's hard to resist someone when you agree with their lifestyle. It's hard to resist the devil when you live like him. It's hard to resist a demon when you invite it into your house. It's like, ooh, where did it come from? You opened the door. Ooh, get out, devil. You kicked it out and you opened the door. Come back in. I don't know who's more confused, you or the demon. Submission comes before the resistance. How greatly you are submitted would determine how greatly you are effective in your resisting. It says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It means to run and stark terror, he'll try to escape your presence. If Satan is not running from you, either you're not resisting or your submission is called into question. Well, Pastor, how long do you have to resist until he runs? You have no business running from the devil old song, I beat the devil running, I'm so glad. Why are you running from him? He should be running from you. So you need to examine your submission to God. When we talk about submit to God, we mean yield to his plan. Yield to his word, yield to his will. So it's not just yielding in a sense of holiness and following the commandments of the scripture, it's also yielding to God's plan for your life. What does he want you to do? Not just overall, but in this season, in this time. How do you move forward? What does God want you to do? Because if you're out of place, meaning you're out of the plan, your resistance won't be as effective. You have to be where God wants you to be. Well, pastor, I don't like that place. It's dark. Well, maybe that's why you're there. You're the light. Remember? I don't like, it's hard. How many know life is hard sometimes? Any, anybody realize that? Life is hard? See, but some of us have this view of Christianity that this Christianity is just skipping through the flowers of Jesus. Yippee-ki-yay, yippee-doo, yippity-zippity-doo-dah. There's some seasons, it's great. It seems easy. It seems sweatless. But other times, you got to put in the work. And so you have to understand, if you think that everything is just easy going, it would be great, but you have an enemy. And then there's people who yield to the enemy. And then there's some people who just ignorant. And you live in a fallen world. So you're going to have some things to deal with. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have pressure. You will have tribulation but be of good cheer be bold be courageous be encouraged I have overcome the world the victory Jesus gave you overcomes everything in your past your present and your future but you have to understand if you have to resist if you have to overcome if you have to fight the good fight of faith it's a fight Not every day is a fight, but some days are. Remember when Satan came to tempt Jesus and Jesus resisted him? He said, this is what the Word says. This is what the Word says. You know, you have to, have to know what the Word says if you want to resist the enemy. It's going to be hard to resist him if you don't know what it says because you won't know whether to go along with him or not. Now, I don't want to make... Resist the enemy seems so deep. It's very simple Because some of you resisted the enemy even when you're heathens Well, what do you mean by that? If it was a Friday night. You usually go to the club you get high you drink Do all this other stuff, but you were tired So you said no, I ain't going tonight. I'm tired. No, you resisted demons as a heathen because your body was tired You just said no and took yourself to bed So don't think you need an advanced degree in order how to resist the devil. Say no, but now you know why you say no. The Bible says, so I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And when Jesus resisted the devil, told him no, because this is what the Scripture says. It says Satan depart from him for a season. So there are seasons where there's not really much or at all warfare, and other times it's intense but you're prepared to resist in any season. Resist and he will flee from you. So we said when you make a stand for God, expect supernatural assistance. We said if you're going to resist, you'll need to represent and identify correctly. You must have faith in God's ability concerning vengeance and recompense because vengeance and recompense are vitally important to the success of the resistance. That as you resist, as you go through this life, things will happen. That's why the scripture says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, not you. He didn't make you an agent of his vengeance. It's like, Jesus, I'll get him back for you. Just sign me just one time. Just give me this one pass, Jesus. I will slap them into the kingdom just one time, just one time. Or if I go too far, you could raise them from the dead. I believe in your power, Jesus. No. No. Back up. Get the wisdom of God in the situation, handle the situation, and forgive everybody of everything. Your unforgiveness will hold up your recompense. Your bitterness will hold up your restoration. You have to let it go. You have to start praying, like, Lord, I turn this over to you. I'm not going to even touch it with my mind anymore. I'm not going to think about this. But I believe in your ability for vengeance and recompense. It's not it's not revenge. It's vindication, and God making it right in your life, and you hand it over to Him because it's not always people. Sometimes the spirits in the heavens that have been holding up stuff. But as long as you stay in unforgiveness, those people aren't even in your life. Those people haven't thought about you in 30 years. But you still going through the same thing again and again and again and again and again. And say, like, oh, all people are crazy. Well, maybe it's not everybody else. Maybe it's something you need to change. And that if you change this thing and stop carrying the trauma and the trauma and the unforgiveness and the bitterness with you, you actually leave it alone. And say, so, God, I trust you to make this right. Then you'll see the recompense and the restoration God has for you all these decades. And then even beyond, as you heard me preach before, that he can bring... Recompense into your life for things that were denied to people who came before you Who for whatever reason could have received the restoration who could have received the recompense who could have received what God had for them That if you make a decision to forgive everybody everything and trust in the vengeance and the recompense of God He can cause it to be restored in your lifetime So you're not passing down generational curses, but you'll set up a generational pattern of blessing and now restoration hits your bloodline But you have to make that decision You don't keep rehearsing to your children how many people have hurt you. You're training them to be offended before they know what offense is. You're reminding them of all the people who've done you wrong. This is not the Godfather. They're not supposed to take them all out as soon as you breathe your last breath. Be aware of what you're doing. Your kids will copy you. I don't know why my child does that. Well. <laughs> and it's hard to be mad at them if it's you. Set the other example. No longer saying, well, do as I say, not as I do. No, do as I say and as I do. Because whether you realize it or not, and some of you who are of the age, you realize it, that you are, find yourself doing the same thing you saw your parents do. Not what they said. Like, even random stuff. You cooking things a certain way. Not because... They told you, you just saw it. You're doing random things and doing stuff like, where did, where did this come from? You didn't realize you were paying attention. So what do you need to do now that you're conscious of that? Make sure you set patterns of righteousness for your kids to follow. Come on, people like, normalize this, normalize this. Normalize being holy. Normalize living righteous at home and in public. Normalize praying in tongues in front of your children. Well, they're too little to understand. No, tell them, I'm praying in tongues. My two-year-old knows when I'm praying in tongues. Why? They ask questions and I respond. And I'll probably get into this more next week as we talk about Pentecost Sunday, but sometime in the last year or two, she's five now, but she was either three or four. She was like, okay, where does tongues come from? I said, well, within here. She's like, no, 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 because we have a learning Spanish and Mandarin. She's like, well, Spanish comes from Spain, and Mandarin is China. Where does to-? I said, it's your heavenly language. That's where it comes from. He's like, oh, okay. But she'll grow up knowing it's normal to pray in the Spirit. It's normal throughout the day to take some time to talk to Jesus. It's normal. Because how you define normal is what your kids will believe. It might take them a couple decades to realize, that's not normal for everybody else. But it's normal for this house. It's normal for this family. You set the normal. Don't let culture set your normal. You set the normal. Stop letting the times define you. You define your times. Matthew 5.13. If we want our resistance to be effective, as we shared in the last several weeks, it cannot be rooted in unforgiveness, fear, shame, guilt, or trying to prove ourselves to somebody else. Because even if you do the right things, but from the motive or the root of the foundation of unforgiveness, shame, guilt, trying to prove yourself to somebody else, your resistance won't be as effective as it should be. Because even if you do everything right, but it's because you're afraid, when Satan attacks, that wall you built of doing everything right will crumble and fall because the foundation is fear. And if the foundation of your wall is fear, why would it stand up to the spirit of fear himself? We saw that happen in Job. He was doing everything right. the foundation was fear. Well, how do I know what is the motive of the foundation of why I do what I do? We looked at Hebrews where it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It even exposes the thoughts and the intents and the deliberations of the heart. So as you spend time hearing the word preached, hearing the word taught to you, and you read the word every day, the word will show you what's inside your heart, whether you knew it was there or not. It will give you the reason why you do what you do, and you'll have the opportunity to adjust it, to correct it. So even if you're doing everything right, you're like, you know what, that was from fear. Father, help me deal with this fear. Forgive me for that. I'm doing this because it's what your word says. Quick adjustment. Quick adjustment. And now your wall can be stable. Believers have to learn to be stable during unstable times. Do you know what's attractive during this time? Stable people. People who don't panic just because... Gas disappeared. And don't put gas in plastic bags or other things. <laughs> I'm telling you, this nation needs stable people. I'm talking that could start revival in of itself. Somebody was stable. Ooh, how how did you not panic, Jesus? Ooh, let me tell me about your Jesus. Stable. That's so what the Bible says: stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand and withstand the enemy not be flip floppy and waffling stand don't panic oh was a shortage the scripture says in the end times there will be shortages so why are you surprised come on we live in the south guys there is a shortage of bread and milk every time we hear it could snow <laughs> oh it might snow tomorrow lines everywhere eggs gone milk gone bread gone it'll be back in a week gone so why do we get in panic mode don't panic use wisdom get what you need to get but don't panic Whoa! whoa, whoa. what happens if they don't get gas ever again well I guess we'd adapt and figure out a new way to get around well somebody might have faith laying hands on a gas tank and refills now don't drive on east and I'm using my faith don't you do that don't you do that Calling us from the side of the road, I think my faith ran out. No, your gas ran out. Go fill up. Woo, Matthew 5. Matthew 5.13. There we go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its flavor or its saltiness, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast down to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. Say, I am the salt of the earth. And I am the light of the world. The scripture goes on and says, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush or a bucket, but on a candlestick and gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so he said light to all that is in the house. To you that's light and who everybody's in your realm of influence. That your job is to be light for them. Well, the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus would to say, I'm the light of the world as long as I'm in it. You are the light of the world. It is your responsibility to give light or to shine to those who are in your sphere of influence. It's your job. The word shine means to radiate brilliancy, it means to beam, it means to give light. That they may see your good works. The word works is business, employment, that which in anyone is occupied, that which one undertakes to do, enterprise, any product, whatever anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. What does that cover? Whatever you do. It's not just the preacher who's the light. It's the believer. No matter what industry you find yourself in, No matter what career you find yourself in, you are the light of that industry. You are the light of that career. Your life is supposed to light that place up. Well, why work is so dark? Well, don't look at the darkness. Look at you. Because if it's still dark, it's not the heathen's fault. Heathens are going to be heathens. Sinners are going to sin. Don't be shocked that they're And please don't spread it on social media. Ooh, did you see what they did? Stop being hell's PR team. Just stop. If you don't like the darkness, shine. If you don't like the darkness, light it up. Be who God has told you to be. Because your good works shine light. When you choose to operate by the spirit of excellence, when everyone's doing whatever else it takes to get by... You shine. Watch this. When people are grumbling because they're not paid enough, and you don't join in in that, and you still do your best anyways, even though you're not being paid what you should be paid, you shine. And what do you do? You step back, and you get the wisdom from God. Sir, you know I should be paid more. Let me add an emphasis on this. No one can pay you what you're worth because you're worth the blood of Jesus being shed so let's talk about pay concerning what you do so what if you're not being paid accurately for what you do and there's ability to do that you step up and get the wisdom of God God I need you to get involved in this situation because you know yourself enough that if you got involved you quickly lose your witness you recall words that you haven't said in a long time. And you've never been cussed down until you've been cussed out by a Christian who's been holding it back for years. So what do you do? You step back and you get the wisdom of God. How do I address this? And then you say, is it supposed to come from here? Because what if God has called you to have multiple streams of info? And what if he called you to have this job as seed to get ready for another harvest? So before you get caught up in everybody's culture wars and everybody running their mouth, because if you don't understand this by now, you should soon, everybody's going to run their mouth no matter what happens. You get the plan of God for your life. Figure out what you're supposed to do. Figure out what you're supposed to say and do that. Do what God has called you to do. Be where God has called you to be, even if the place he's called you to be is stressful. Pastor, self-care right now is about my mental health. I'm going to quit my job. It's too stressful. Well, you're going to have some new stress when you can't pay for none. And how long do you think a government can pay for you to do stuff when the government itself is broke? not even governing government, bro. So don't put your confidence in the government. Pray for those with authority. I pray for the president, the vice president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, the governors, the the mayors, the city councils, the representatives. I pray for them all. The ones I know, the ones I don't know. But don't put your confidence in the government. Because the scripture says, we do not trust in princes, nor in the arm of man whom there is no help. You better keep your trust and faith in God. You've reached a point in this nation, in this time, where faith in God is no longer optional. It is required. And you're looking for the government to step in to bring you the vengeance you need when it's going to come from the hand of God. But you need to make sure you line yourself up with the word of God. We looked at last week how we can do things as a mode of love and honor. And as I begin to close, here's another route we can do things from to glorify God. I'll give you a number of scriptures on this in our notes. You can find it in the U Version Bible app. Why do you do what you do? Love, honor, because God said so. Another reason, to bring Him glory. So, what if He calls you to be somewhere that you just Don't want to be. Well, I'm here because I love him and I'm going to bring him glory. To glorify means to praise, extol, magnify, celebrate, to honor, to do honor to, and to hold an honor. Another definition I want you to remember, it means to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. As the salt and the light as a resistance, what you do can cause people to celebrate God. And what you do can manifest the glory of God. It is not just what you call spiritual things. It's everything you do. Yes, it are things you do in the house of God through volunteering, through serving in kids' world, and serving with the youth, and serving as ushers and hosts in the parking lot, and praise team and media and nurses and all the things we do here. Yes, that has an impact. But that impact is not limited to the hours inside the church house. That impact is magnified when you live this way. We live to bring him glory. We live to bring him honor. Now, even 1 Peter two eleven and 12 tells us to live this way so that the people who are in the world see our good works and they glorify God in the day of visitation. That they didn't even crack open the Bible. They never even went to church, but they saw your life. And because they saw how you lived your life, they chose to give God glory. They chose to praise God because of how you live. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 tells us to flee from sexual immorality and live in a certain way with our body. It says glorify God in your body and in your spirit because it belongs to God. The lifestyle choices you make concerning your body can give glory to God. John 16, 14 tells us the Holy Spirit who lives within us will glorify Jesus. What is he doing? Bringing honor and fame to Jesus by leading you and guiding you. The Holy Spirit will always lead you in a path that will honor Jesus. Philippians 1, New Living Translation. It's the end of a prayer that I pray for you guys every day. It says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Your character brings glory to God. Being a person of character, which sadly is rare, brings glory to God. You keeping your word, or as process swearing to your own hurt, and doing what you said even if it's inconvenient to you brings glory to god because you committed to it with your mouth your character living in the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 bring glory to god you being patient with trifling people brings glory to god you showing kindness to people brings glory to god you just not running your mouth because you can, and you're an American. You can say what you want to say because you have amendment rights. But you actually keeping your peace brings glory to God. You processing everything. through The mindset is, what I'm about to do, going to bring glory to God or bring shame to his name? 2 Corinthians 9 tells us that our giving brings glory to God that we stepped up what we gave away last year, and we're continuing to do that, give away even more so that we can fight food insecurities, so that we can help single mothers, so we can support these other organizations in this area. Brings glory to God. There are people who may not meet you in this life, but they were blessed because you gave, and when you get to heaven, they track you down because Jesus let them know, yeah, that person gave on that day and that offering and that money went and helped you. And they're standing in heaven and thank you. Your giving brings glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, when we look at 23-33, to 33 in the New Living Translation, I'm going to paraphrase because of the sake of time. When Paul's making decisions, he tells them, don't go to the pagan festivals and their temples and eat in their meals. Don't do that. Don't partake in the table of demons. You partake in the table of the Lord. But he says, if you're in the marketplace and you're buying food, don't. Do an examination, hmm, who sold this food to me? Was it a heathen was it a believer? Did they sacrifice this to a heathen God first? He said, don't do that. Just buy your food and go home. Right. Then he goes on and says, if you go to a friend's house and they're serving food, don't investigate where it came from. Eat what's set before you. But then if they say, if they say this was sacrificed to a heathen God, then you don't eat it. Not because you're bothered by it, but for the sake of their conscience. Then he concludes it with, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Considering other people's consciences for the sake of the glory of God. Then he goes on, says, give none offense to the church of God, to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, So me making the decision to do or not to do something, thinking, will this offend this person? What about their conscience? What if they're weaker in faith than I am? And making the decision to do what is right, viewing all these things, brings glory to God. It's a lifestyle paradigm shift. What brings glory to God? And John 15, we'll close here. Because if you do all these things out of the motive to bring God glory, you're building a resistance that's effective. You're building a resistance that Satan will run from. Because the demons will begin to learn if they try you, you'll get the victory and you'll tell everybody you know what Jesus did for you. And you become too expensive to mess with. John 15. Jesus says this picture here. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is a farmer. And you know, we picture the Heavenly Father in many different ways. Most times we don't picture Him as a farmer. And then He says, every branch that bears not fruit in me, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. When it says takes away, it doesn't mean just throws it away because you're not fruitful. This means he lifts it up. It's a gardening term to pair it with another fruitful branch and lift it up closer to the sun so it can receive the nutrients it needs, and it can learn from someone, some other vine on how to be fruitful. And so if you're not fruitful, God will lift you up to a place where you can receive more nutrients and put you in a relationship with someone who is faithful and fruitful so that you can become faithful and fruitful. That's why kingdom relationships are important. You're not supposed to do things as an island. Says, so, Well, I can get everything I need staying at home at church. You probably could get a lot of things, but what if we came to church not just because of what we needed, but what we could give? Well, we had the mindset of coming to church of someone else needs to see me there. Someone else needs me. Someone else needs my help. What if there's a relationship? You're called to form. So, well, what can I get out of the relationship? What if we stop being consumers and taking the American consumerism mentality into how we do church? And have a mindset I'm blessed to be a blessing who can I in a Titus 2 mindset help bring up and get closer to Jesus who's gonna become more fruitful because I came to church today not just because I was serving today but because I attended I had a chance to just say hi to someone or smile at them it's changing the mindset of why do we do what we do because too long we come to church to get something get the word that is a good place to start come to church get the word to experience God but what if we came to church with the mindset, I'm coming, not just to experience God, but I'm going to allow others to experience God through me. That's why we have that experience love part of our model, because they're going to experience the love of God through you. They're experiencing the love of God before I can even open this Bible. They're experiencing the love of God when you're in the parking lot. They're experiencing the love of God when the hospitality is greeting, when the ushers and hosts are directing, when they sit next to you, they experience the love of God. Because now it's not just coming to church. What we can get out of it, but who can I bless? Now you are clean or purged through the word I've spoken to you. When Jesus purges you, he's not sending bad things to your life to make you produce more. The trial did not come to make you strong. The trial came to take you out. God did not send a trial to make you strong. Satan sent a trial to take you out. When Jesus wants you to become more fruitful, he sends you more word. And then it goes on about being fruitful. Let's skip down to verse 8. Hearing as my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. You being fruitful brings glory, honor, and praise to God. Stand to your feet. And the fruitfulness comes to your connection to the Word and your relationship with Him. We need to do things because we love God, because God said so. Things out of honor, and things to bring glory, honor, and praise to God. Because as we do those things, our resistance will be effective. And Satan won't just try to run and escape your life, he'll try to run and escape wherever you go. And so when you make stands in your career, in your workplace, in your community, the enemy runs because he knows you're not just gonna stand for one moment and forget about it. That you're here for the long haul. That he can't outlast you because you're submitted to God. You do things from the right motives. And when you resist, heaven backs you up. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to heaven. Glory to Jesus. So Father, as we take this moment to listen to you and worship you I pray that you grant insight on motives we need to change, things we need to change. I pray for strength and encouragement to be imparted to people who are thinking about leaving where they are because it's tough, because it's stressful. but they're leaving a place you've called them to be, I ask that you make it clear to them if they're called to be there and as you make it clear to them strengthen them for those who are confused about their plan about what to do or where to go on how to move forward I ask that you grant them clarity that you grant them wisdom that you grant them understanding that you strengthen them for the fight that's ahead that they won't lean on their own willpower will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so take this moment before him as he talks to you and gives you direction Take this moment to listen to him. Take this moment to listen to him. He'll direct you. He'll guide your steps. He'll heal your body. He'll bring peace to your mind. So just receive from him right now. Ah Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our Faith Experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life so thank you for tuning in today we'll see you next time